You're now listening to From the Shed End, episode 111. Theo, as always, how you doing? Not too bad. I feel like um, I hate myself for, for saying this because we're what, the 12th of Jan today, but I'm going to say Happy New Year because um, it's the first time we've recorded a pod since, I think, uh, just before Christmas, I think 21st of December. Um, so yeah, it's been a relatively good start to the year. Like mm. we spoke about offline, I'm in the process of changing jobs, which is quite stress-free. Um, because not really having much work thrown my, my direction. So quite enjoying my my Friday at the moment and looking forward to the weekend, obviously. Um, but yeah, uh, other than that, I'm doing good. Looking forward to the Australian Open, which is starting next week. Yep. Big fan of tennis um, and enjoyed a lot of darts and tennis over the kind of New Year and Christmas period, which was enjoyable as well. How are you doing? Yeah, like yourself, no Happy New Year. Um, hope you had a good Christmas break and everyone else who's listening had a good Christmas Started the year fresh, but yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, looking forward to the second half of the season. Looking forward to getting into the recording of the podcast. We had to have to take we had to take a little break. You know, sometimes you have to take a little break from recording, um, especially as a Chelsea fan at the moment. But no, it's been good. It's been good. Um, been good, as you said. You know, the darts was brilliant. Uh, football. We've got the Afcon as well coming up. Um, I think from tomorrow. I think it starts the the first games tomorrow Saturday. So um looking forward to that. I think there's a game on mid midday, I think two PM every single day. So any of your working from home people, um try and c- coincide your lunch break with with AFCON. Should be should be able to catch some of that. But um yeah, it's been good. It's been good. It's been up and down for Chelsea, though. Of course, you know, we've we've mm-hmm. had some really good wins, taking, you know, one step forward and then we seem to be taking three steps back at the moment so we're going to get into all of that hopefully um in this episode before we do as always make sure you go to the youtube channel and subscribe like the video before you leave and if you're on the audio version please again make sure you hit the notification bell and also leave us some comments let us know your thoughts as what we we're going to be discussing throughout the episode as well but let's start with um what we hoped to have done last week um obviously i've got two kids in the house so we couldn't have recorded last week but let's go back to um this, the, obviously there's the start of the season and, and where we are currently at the moment in terms of um, our rankings for you know best player, worst player, best performance so far under Chelsea um, for, for this season or for, for 2023. But um, we've got a couple of categories that I think we you, you pulled together. We've chosen obviously player of the year, worst performing player of the year, um, best game of the year, worst game of the year and the overall rating of Chelsea's season so far. Um, I think it's only best for us really to start with the player of the year and I'm going to let you go first. Um, who, who have you got as your pick for so far as the, as the player of the year for Chelsea? So I think I've done things slightly differently. Um, when I said it over to you on WhatsApp, I've done it for the 2023 calendar year. Um, okay. So from 1st of Jan 2023 to 31st of December 2023. And obviously it's quite hard to pick a player of the year because half our squad from last season left in the summer. Um, and then we brought in a bunch of new players or some players that arrived in January just didn't perform. So I just went for the player that was the most consistent performer throughout those throughout that 365 days. And also the player that won our player of the season for last year, which was Thiago Silva for me. And I think his game against Luton, her final game of 2023, kind of sums him up as a player. And also his reaction after the Middlesbrough defeat when he went up to one of the very few players that went up to the fans to almost apologise sums up the type of person he is. And I've always, I think I put a tweet out about this. I do worry when he leaves, um, who will kind of fill that void in terms of the leader he is, the kind of um, responsibility he shows when things go wrong or when things go well, and just the consistency as well in his performances. Um, so yeah, I've gone with Thiago Silva as my 2023 player of the year. Mm. 
it's a good shout. It's a very good shout. And I, I agree with you, you know, he's as good. I've done mine slightly different. So, um, and I did, as I said, before we started recording, I was thinking about doing 23, 20, obviously, you know, January, December calendar year um, for my picks, but I've gone for seasonal. So I've gone from obviously the start yeah. of this season to where we are present day at the moment. And I agree with, you know, Thiago Silva is, is a rock in not just defense, but I think you can tell the, the, the winner's mentality that he's got, you know, he's one of few in that team at the moment that's got that, you know, you can see the, the anger when he walks off the pitch, you can see his anger when he, there's a mistake made in the back line or, you know, we're letting a stupid goal. You can see that so, so much in him. Um, I agree with you. We've said it before on here that if we lose someone like Thiago Silva, not just on the pitch, but in the dressing room as well, it's a massive void. And it's somewhere that who, who picks up, who picks up the baton after Thiago Silva? There isn't many. And we've said that before. So it's a massive concern. Um, I've gone for, obviously, as I said, you know, I've gone for, for, for the season in terms of where we are the, from August to now. Um, I've actually gone for Cole Palmer. I've gone mm. for Cole Palmer. Um, the reason being is I feel that Cole Palmer, albeit he came in, I think for 46 million, for, I might've got that wrong, the 40 million pound mark, but he's come in and he looks like a breath of fresh air. You can tell that he's come from City's team. You know, he looks like the one that's going to make something happen on the ball. Um, even taking away the goals that he scored against the... Uh, trying to think, was it Preston? I feel like it was Preston or maybe Nottingham Forest. Luton? Luton the two goals again. Sorry, it, yeah. or... I was trying to think of the ground. Kenny yeah. Road, yeah, the Kenny, as they like to call it. Um, even him doing that, I mean, he, he looks like he's someone that wants to take the ball forward, score the goals... Um, I think we'd be lost without him. I'll be honest. I think if we didn't have Cole Palmer in that team um, for, for this season, I would struggle to understand where these goals are coming from for, for this for this attacking line. I just don't see it, you know, from Raheem Sterling as much who, you know, I did have as an honourable shout out, but I don't see where the goals are coming from. And, you know, defensively, Thiago Silva makes sense. But for me, Cole Palmer going forward is arguably our, 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 our saving grace going forward. Yeah, no, I think if I was doing it as well for the season, I would go with Cole Palmer as well. Um, I think he's been a catalyst in many of the games, including that Luton one you mentioned. Um, I think he's on double figures for goals and assists combined, um, which is very impressive given it's his first season, season at Chelsea. Uh, made it into the England fall now as well, thanks to his performances with the with, um, with Chelsea. I think we had to pick a second player, maybe to kind of close contender for Cole Palmer. I would have gone with Colin Gallagher as my um, second yeah. choice um, for the season. Um, but yeah, I did it differently. I did it for the calendar year of 2023. So I went with Silver, but I did kind of consider um, putting um, Cole Palmer's name in the hat, even for 2023, given how kind of game-changing some of his performances have been. Mm. This one, this one, next one, I think will probably be, maybe, maybe not, but I think it might be very similar between the two of us. So we've gone for the worst performing player of the year so far. Um, as you said, you know, 2023 for yourself and me for a seasonal, but who, who have you gone for as the worst performing player so far? So I've got my little notes here. I'll, I'll, there's two <laughs> names I wrote first. I wrote Cucurella and Madrid's names first. Oh, okay. yep. Just given how poor they've been throughout the year. Sure, Cucurella had a bit of a, a pickup, I think, around September, October time. And Madrid just hasn't lived up to his price tag. He's been in and out of the team. He can't really run with the ball. He crossed the ball. He doesn't look comfortable in front of goal. Um, sure, he's very young, so I kind of still want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, but I actually didn't go for any of those two players given that I've done this for 2023 
I've gone with Mason Mount as the player that I kind of feel, I kind of called it the category worst player of the year. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because underperformed when he was fit uh, last season, um, given that he was our player of the season the, the year before. And also all the kind of lies he fed to us, gone to United and a video of him in the dressing room with his father I'm saying home. this is what we dreamt of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm home or whatever I'm just like nah you never really it just didn't really sit well with me so sure I think I kind of went for a mix of like how he handled the whole transfer situation the contract talks and it's just performance last season I just feel like had he just given it a bit more had he just focused on Chelsea and not the whole kind of transfer speculation linking him to United early on in the season mm. I think we could have maybe had some better results on the pitch um, I think you know this time last year we just signed Jao Felix and we were talking about who are we going to keep next season? Is it going to be Felix? Is it going to be Mount? And we both agreed it should have been Mount. Mm. And I remember literally having this conversation on the pods and now both of them are gone. Mount's at United. He's underperformed. I'm really happy with that. But he also underperformed at Chelsea throughout three was my worst player of the year. Yeah. Uh, it's a good shout. It's a good shout. Um, I think he's someone that clearly fell out of love very quickly with the club. The fans, the fans fell out of love with Mason Mount as well. I think he... He's still struggling now. You look at him at uh, Manchester United. I think he's—I don't know if he's injured or if he's—he's he's not. He's not getting the games at the moment. But um, Mudrik's a, a, a good one as well. I, I just want to see Mudrik get a run of games consistently in that team before I swing the guillotine um, because I think he's—I think he's—I I just need to see with a run of games how he performs. And I think you—you you just hit the nail on the head by saying that he you knows he's in and out of the team, and I think that could be a problem for him. I'm not saying that he, when he plays, he should be playing as bad as he is because he's he played awful. Like we can both we can both sit there and say that, but I just want to see what he does with you know four or five games back to back consistently under his belt to see how, if that makes a difference. If it doesn't, then we've been flogged a, a you know a, a donkey as a horse. You know it's just been it's just poor. Um, I've gone I've gone for for Nicholas Jackson, and it might raise a couple of question marks as to why. Um, Yes, I think he's very young still, you know, very raw. Shouldn't really be our, you know, our, our number nine leading leading us through every every weekend. But it's some of the, 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 the basic stuff that I feel that Nicholas Jackson, as a striker, as a professional footballer, should be doing that he doesn't do. Um, the runs that he should be making, the space that he should be occupying, the, the chances that he misses. I mean, you know, as I think we said before last year, you know, there's a compilation of him where the amount of goals he's, he should be scoring that he misses. And some of them are basic things that as a striker, you know, whichever level you're playing at, whether it's, you know, the top level or if it's, a, you know, a lower league, you should still be making the goalkeeper work. And he doesn't do that enough for me. And I, I just look at him, I just think, you know, you should be the one getting the goals. You should be our top goal scorer. You should be the one that, you know, has 15 goals by now, you know, almost 20 goals this season. You know, he, I know people say that's a lot for your first season in the Premier League, but if you look at some of the chances that he's missed and just some of the basic stuff, as I said, you know, I, I'm almost and I'm almost warming to the idea that he's, he's not actually a natural striker. Maybe he should be playing off one of the wings, maybe the left side of the, the wing, the, the, the attackers. But I just look at him and I don't see him as a striker. Um, there was a game, I think, recently, just before he went to the AFCON and he moved to the wing and he actually looked more comfortable playing off, I think it was off the left side. Um, and he looked more comfortable playing off that wing as opposed to playing as the main striker. So I, I just look at him and I just, I, I think he's, he is poor. And the fact that we dubbed him 
and say we, we never, but people, people were dubbing him the new Didier Dropper. You know, you just look back and thought, wow, what, what were we thinking? We're going to get onto the Chelsea fans later, actually, but what were we thinking by calling him that? So for me, Nicholas Jackson has to, has to, to be my worst performing player of the year so far. It's a shout. Yeah, it is a shout. And I do agree with you in that losing game when he played, I think, behind Brozier almost as yeah. their kind of um, centre forward who played behind the striker. He actually looked quite good after one of his best games mm. in the Chelsea shirt and that pass he played to Cole Palmer for the third goal. Yeah. was very, very good. But I do agree with you. The fact you've got those compilation videos of about 15 sitters that he's missed and he's only six months into his career is, is quite telling. Um, I do expect more from him, but I also know for a fact from what I've seen from him so far, has proved to me that he's not got the right mentality or the right set of skills to be our number yeah. nine um, that we're going to need. And like you said, a few of us kind of maybe made drug book comparisons. He picked the number 15 shirts. He's from Africa. Um, he didn't come for a, with a big kind of reputational price tag. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, we'll kind of um, hang our, our heads in shame put up with those remarks. Um, but yeah, I think it's a shout for maybe the season that's currently ongoing mm. at the moment. Yeah, definitely 100% now. Um, best game of the year I feel like I need to change mine but I'm going to stick with it because I've, I've done mine obviously from okay. August onwards but what's your what's your game of the year uh, for 2023 yeah so I've got three games um, obviously 2023 was a pretty dire year in terms of the football I'm we played I've got three to about, be fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean it was a very dire year and I think we only had about five home wins um, yeah. so I think the logical ones that I can think of and kind of spring to mind because they were quite recent were the 4-1 win over Spurs. Yeah. Um, I think it was in November. Um, really entertaining game. I almost lost my voice at the end of it. Or the VAR controversy that happened. Obviously, the Jackson shameless hat-trick that he scored, but it's still three goals. And then doing the Ronaldo celebration and scoring four against Tottenham. It's always enjoyable. Yeah. Um, the second one, again, this season, uh, this season is the 4-4 draw of City. I thought that's the best football we played under Pochettino. Um, despite, you know, we got a point and it was anti Anthony Taylor, who was the referee, mm-hmm. awarded that penalty a bit controversially. And to score a um, last-minute equaliser against City was quite a good feeling as well. But the one I'd gone with, um, so this was actually not this season, it was the previous year. We were still playing in Europe, believe it or not. But it was the home game against Borussia Dortmund. Yeah. Um, probably one of the last games I can kind of recall where I left Stamford Bridge just thinking, I really enjoyed that. That was mm-hmm. the Chelsea I remember watching. Uh, we kind of mounted a, one of those famous Champions League comebacks. We lost the first leg 1 0. Um, Havertz scored and Sterling scored. It just felt one of those games where, uh, you know, when you're just hugging random people around you because yeah. um, you're so excited. Yeah. Um, I was outside in Shed Upper, which is my favorite section to sit in. And I thought we played really well in that game as well. Um, I thought it was we controlled it. And it kind of made me think, all right, if we play like this against one of the big teams like Borussia Dortmund, Maybe there is a bit of a glimmer of a hope for Graham Potter. And I think he went on to say we're going to win the fucking Champions League the week after <laughs> when we drew around Madrid. And that really didn't really bode well or go, go to plan. Mm. But for me, that game against Dortmund was, was quite special, particularly went to the first leg in Germany. So I felt like I had a connection to that kind of tie against yeah. Borussia Dortmund. And um, the second leg for me was just one of the special Champions League nights that I'm going to remember for a, for a long time. So that's my choice. The good old days of the Champions League. <laughs> uh, yeah um, I've gone for the 4-4 the Man City game uh, most more recently as well like you just had there I think that game for me like you said was probably the best football we've played under Maurizio Pochettino but also the fight and the desire for me up until the end of the game you know even into stoppage time I think is when the penalty was awarded to us from Brozier. Um 
I think it was Rodri with the tackle. I might have got that wrong, but I think it was um, a last-ditch tackle from, from I think it was Rodri in the box. You know, lovely bit of dummy. Was it Diaz? Diaz, Diaz. maybe. I think, I think Diaz, Diaz or Rodri, Diaz. yeah. It was one of the two. Um, I think you're right with Diaz. And, you know, we, we, we fought to the very end. And to be fair, we should have, I think the only thing I'll take from that game, it was our best game, but also in, in some ways it was our worst game because we should have actually won the game. When you look back on it, you know, you look at the Kanji goal, um, the marking for that was poor. You know, we made the mistake, I think, for the first goal, the City goal as well, the third one. You know, so we, they, we should have actually gone on to win that game. We, we, we kind of made it a bit easy for Man City to, to come back in at, at spells. But I thought we fought to the very end and it was, it was, you know, that Chelsea squad, you know, the season before, even the season before that probably would have collapsed, you know, as it, had it gone 2-1 to City or, you know, 3-1, it could have been a cricket score. But we, we carried on fighting, we got the goals. You could tell the fans were on top of the, the the City players as well. It felt like an old Chelsea game, which is one of the things we spoke about offline. And it doesn't really feel like that when you go to Stamford Bridge um, anymore. But it just it just showed that there was fight and desire in that team. And albeit we we walked away with a point, but it was a point well deserved and a, a point that we you know we fought for. So um, I was impressed with with the the team, the setup, the line. It was just everything was right and. Um, if I remember correctly, you, you're quite good at, you I mean, your memory's better than mine, but I'm pretty sure we lost the game after that. Yeah, we had the international break straight yeah. after and then we came back and lost one to Newcastle. Um, so yeah, you're right. That was it. And that was the first time we scored we battered, against yeah. City. First time we scored against Man City since the Champions League final in 2021. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that celebrating four goals. <laughs> when it rains, it pours. So yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, that was my, that was mine. But um, let's move on. Let's move on to the worst game of the year so far this season or for for the year. This one's probably harder because there's more to pick from. I feel. <laughs> You're um, not wrong. Yeah, I've gone with one. I think we um, you highlighted it a lot because I think you called for Potter to potentially get sacked at this point of last year, and it was when we lost one nil to Southampton at home. Uh, February 2023 I believe it was one of I was sat in Matthew Harding low and I just remember it being one of the most frustrating and lacklustre performances I've watched in a very long time mm. and just kind of uh, I just pulled it up right now but Southampton finished the last year rock bottom with 25 points and they beat us home and away yeah. that season so they picked up 6 points 6 of their 25 points were against us maths and that's about 25% of their um, total points tally came against Chelsea um, so yeah for me that was an embarrassing performance I remember it was a Ward-Prowse free kick and as soon as you give Ward-Prowse you know a set piece in that area he's going to score it you might as well give him a penalty and that make things worse I think Azpilicueta got concussed or um, got really badly injured. it was yeah, that was that game so just yeah it was a really kind of frustrating annoying afternoon and one, probably one of the worst kind of Chelsea performances I've watched in a very long time there's a lot of other ones to choose from this year, but I just remember we've been particularly annoyed after that one. And I remember that's when it really turned toxic on kind of Twitter, calling for Potter to get sacked. Um, so yeah, that was a really um, my worst game of the season for 2023. I think I think for me, and I remember that game, I, I, put, I put money on, on, on the goal, um, which was not the silver line. And I can tell you, because I'd rather have had three points, but... Um, I've gone for this season as well. I've gone for for United Old Trafford 2-1. I think I did a video after that game 
And I was going to do the video straight after and I didn't. And I was still angry the day after. And I think on that video, I said it was the worst performance in over 30 years that I've watched of Chelsea. And I still stand by that. That was probably the worst game of football at Old, not even just at Old Trafford. I think just in general that Chelsea have played. Um, it was just poor from start to end. There was nothing. There was no desire, no fight from the team. And I, I really felt then at that point, I mean, you know, um, that that game could probably spell a lot of trouble for Maurizio Pochettino. It wasn't even that long ago, but I, I just feel that that game was a massive game. You know, we had to win it, for me anyway. Um, we didn't have the best of records at Old Trafford before that, but we should still be putting in a bit more of a fight. And I just didn't, I didn't see that from, I think even the goals that were, were silly goals that we conceded against, um, against United in that game. But, you know, it's just, it's just poor. It was a poor performance overall. I think Cole Palmer scored for us on that day on that night but yeah I mean I've, I've tried to erase it from the memory so I don't actually recall the whole event of the game but it was just a poor performance from us overall um, I think Mudrick started that game if I remember correctly uh, is that the game I think Reese James had to be subbed off so yeah I mean it's just been it's just, I, yeah it was just a poor game for us uh, I, I still stand by you know that game um, albeit it was 2-1 was probably the worst game of football I've watched as a, as a Chelsea fan. Yeah, no, I remember that one that did come to my mind as well. On paper, you think 2-1 two, defeat at Old Trafford. Probably think your team must have played quite well, defended fairly well, created some chances, but we really didn't. No. I think Palmer's goal was maybe one of our only shots on target. Um, they could have scored a lot more on the night. I think Garnacho had a, an abundance of chances. They missed a penalty for um, Bruno Fernandes. Um, mm. um, Roberto, Robert, Robert Sanchez um, saved it. And it was a really poor performance. And then I think that was a midweek fixture that same weekend. We yeah. lost 2-0 to Everton. And that was the game where Rhys James got subbed off injured. So just that whole week was just abysmal. And really kind of like you said, it almost meant a long bails for, for, for Pochettino's future. I think luckily we kind of had a bit of a, a boost in confidence after the cup win against Newcastle. But that mm. early December period was quite shocking. I agree. Yeah, yeah definitely. Now let's, let's um, try and sum up what we've just discussed in terms of the overall rating so far um, for, for the year for 2023. How do you, out of 10, what would you, what would you give the year for Chelsea? Obviously Champions League and coming out of the Champions League, sacking Potter, appointing Lampard, um, hiring Maurizio Pochettino after signing so many players. But what would you give the, the, the year, I suppose, uh, overall out of 10? I think it's probably been one of the worst years I remember supporting Chelsea, mm. watching Chelsea, kind of believing in the vision that Chelsea are trying to, to create. So I'm going to give it a 2 out of 10. And the only reason I'm giving it a 2 out of 10 is because the last three or four months, I believe we've played better football than we did under Graham Potter and last season. Yeah, And then maybe an extra mark simply because I ticked off two matches or stadiums that were on my bucket list for a long time, away days at in Borussia Dortmund at the Signal Iduna Park and away to Real Madrid, which was very special as well. Albeit we lost both of them and didn't score a single goal. But those were just two bucket list moments for me um, being in those stadiums, watching Chelsea against their respective teams. So yeah, a point for just a bit. The football that we've played recently has been slightly more promising and a point for those two um, away games. So yeah, I'll go a two out of 10. I, w- I went for, I mean, I was, I was really tempted to give one but um, I've, I've gone for three three out of ten um, 
very similar to you. And I did do this, I did do the, the overall rating actually over the year. So I did include the last season as well as this season. Um, so I've done the whole of 2023, but I still think, you know, I'm thinking more so as well, off-field issues and transfers, recruitment, you know, the fact we brought in so many players, some of them have left already. Um, you know, you look at Kulabali, who I know was signed the, the year before, but it's still, you know, we still sold him already. Um, I feel like we lost a lot of, qu- I say quality, but we lost a lot of experience in that team. You know, Kante, Kovacic, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Aspilicueta, you know, all these players that, yes, we know we needed to move on, but to do it in a big bang in that sort of situation, I think has obviously cost us a lot now because we've got a lot of inexperienced players playing in the team. Um, I, I look at our position in the league at the moment, you know, 10th. Um, I know just before Christmas, we were actually better off with Graham Potter um, than we was in terms of where we are with Maurizio Potticino. I'd hope that has changed since then um, with the couple of games that we've played. But we st- There was a World Cup, to be fair. So, maybe, yeah, there's a World Cup, so we yeah, didn't yeah. play a lot of football around that November, December period, which so, maybe did Graham Potter some favours, kind of keeping him in the job or holding that position. It's yeah. a good shot. I mean, it's still, I mean, it's still never going to be above a five out of 10 um, yeah. at the moment for me. And I don't think it will be for a long time because I, I think there's so much which we're hopefully going to touch on within this podcast episode as well around what we need to do to try and change things, to try and get us back into, you know, top four, you know, going for, for trophies. I think, you know, there's still time for us to do that this season. I think we've had, even without the transfers that we hopefully want to try and bring in, but you know, if we can try and overcome the second leg against Middlesbrough and get to the final winner trophy, then obviously boost it up. But as it stands at the moment, you'd probably have to say it's a two or a three out of ten this season. So or this year so far, yeah. or last year, sorry. It's not been it's not been a it's not been a, a, a good a good year for Chelsea fans at all. Yeah, should we meet halfway and say two point five then? Two point five. Let's go two point five. Let's be a... Uh... Diplomatic, yeah, 2.5. Um, let us know your thoughts. Let us know what you think. Let us know um, who was your pe- player of the year, um, worst signing, best performance of, of Chelsea and the worst one as well. What would the overall rating be? Let us know your thoughts in the comments um, of the uh, video. Now, let's move over to, I want to do this in a different slightly order now I've got it written down. So I want to talk about one of the questions you've put on here is why the potch out cause a stupid um, and I'm glad you've put it in that exact way and that's a, how it is in front of me because they are stupid, the calls. Um, what's your thoughts on that, first of all? What's your thoughts on fans, Chelsea fans, match-going fans or fans that are just sat at home, um, you know, behind a, a, a Twitter image that isn't them talking about, you know, Pochettino out? What, what's your thoughts on that? They're completely foolish and stupid. They just, we lose one nil to middles where they get their keyboards out there's their X whatever you call it now pipe in their little punch out with a picture of his face and a big red cross across it I don't really offer any kind of solution to it yeah. they don't want to stay patient the same people are the same people who have like a Evan Zard as their profile picture never really aren't willing to be patient aren't willing to kind of understand that we're going through this period and it's going to be we're going to have to buckle up and be in it for a long time this is how it's going to be from now on you can't expect us to sell your, almost your four starting 11 from last year, have injuries to probably your most important player or who has been your most important player for the last couple of years in Reese James and expect Pochettino to get results. He hasn't had a full of consistent 11 to kind of choose from because he's, he's been mm. hampered by injuries throughout the season. And I, like I said, I still think we're playing better football than we have this year than last year. We lost 1-0 to Middlesbrough, but we created a lot of chances. And any other day, I think we're winning that game 4-0, 4-1, 
if Cole Palmer just finds his shooting boots on the day. Um, we sack him now. Then we find we ourselves in the same situation as last season. Players that start to get unhappy that there's not really a consistency at the club. Uh, also, who do you bring in halfway through the season? Who would be willing to come into this Chelsea project? And also, it's January now. You've got a manager who clearly hasn't had a say in the last couple of transfer windows. We didn't have a say in the summer of who we wanted to keep or bring in. Give him, let him have a say now. Let him take control of the, the transfer market. Let him pick which players he wants to loan out, which players he wants to recall, which he wants to sign. Um, so yeah, I think I do like Pochettino. I think he's the manager for the job. But I'm also fed up of these potch out kind of tweets because for me, they're not really real fans. And if they are real fans, that are the match going ones. They're the toxic ones that just kind of tweet that for attention. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think after the game like Middlesbrough's days, I just wanted to stay away from Twitter and be like, no, nah, I don't want to be, take part in these type of conversations. I don't want to be exposed to these type of tweets. So yeah, I'm completely against all these potch out hashtags or potch out tweets. So yeah, I'd rather stay away from them. It's embarrassing. I mean, I think it's, um, look, I'm not against anyone or policing or trying to be a gatekeeper for how, you know, fans of any club want to, want to voice their opinion or whatever else. But it's what you said at the very start of what you said, you know, there's no solution to it. You know, you are, you are someone who's, who's pot chat, who, who are you bringing in? They haven't, they, they can't give you a short list of managers because actually there isn't that many managers out there that are willing to take this job on. Um, you know, Hansi Flick, I think is one that I, I, I sort of come across yesterday um, when I happened to go on Twitter for 10 minutes or so. Um, Nagelsmann was one that people were still batting around and, you know, this just, look, I mean, Mauricio Pochettino clearly has to do better as a manager. I, I do question mm. still, I, I do question how much involvement he has in the transfer uh, discussions with the club because, you know, you made a good point during the week around, you know, Ian Matson going on loan. I know Ben Chilwell's coming back into full team training now, but, you know, you look at Kukurea, Chilwell, you know, both of them able to be, you know, is Chilwell still able to play, you know, a large proportion of games this season? Probably not. You know, look at Kukurea. Ian Matson probably had a role to play. You know, he was still at the club up until, you know, a couple of days ago, but he was still on the bench and he was playing Levi Colwell, still at left back. So I do think there's things that Potticino can do. You know, that experiment with Colwell playing left back hasn't worked. So address that. You know, you've got Ian Matson there who can play there. So, you, you know, bring him on, play him. Um, I do I do question some things that he does tactically or his substitutions, but that's just... Now, I'd question that if it was Ancelotti, if he was doing the same thing or whoever. So I don't think it's an issue actually with Potocino. I just think sometimes his hand's been, you know, it's been forced because you look at some of the, the, the injuries that we've had. We've had to play particular players out of position. Um, but then there is options where you can bring players in. So I do get why people question Potocino, but to say Potocino out for me and then to say, well, who would you bring in? And there's no answer. Then that tells me that you're just saying it for, as you said, for those sort of reactionary, you know, let's get a couple of numbers on Twitter. Um, I, I think Potocino is a manager that is happy to do his job, try and do it to the best of his ability, but I think he's happy to allow the transfer. I mean, we've seen it with Conor Gallagher, you know, he's been asked a couple of times now in the last couple of weeks in the press conference, you know, does he want him to stay? You know, he's always saying it's between the club and the player. Well. I think Potocino has to be involved in those conversations because it's Potocino that has to pick a squad and has to train these players with his coaching staff and he has to have a role in that. And if he's not, then that worries me because who's calling the shots? Who's green light in these signings? You know, these, who's sanctioning these transfers? Who's giving a list of, of, of 
options to, you know, Paul Winstandys and, and, and Joe Shields and whoever else is involved in making these decisions. So that worries me a little bit, but I'm not potch out because who do you, who do you bring in? What's the solution? Yeah. What is the solution? And I, I think I look at, and I don't want to use them as a blueprint, because especially Arsenal, because I hate them, but you look at Arteta, and I still think even Arteta's not the right person for Arsenal now, but you look at how he's developed them over you know, the course of time. There was a time when Arsenal fans wanted Arteta gone. You know, he got them an FA Cup. He's sustained a bit of European football for them. Um, we have to give Pochettino the time. We have to, because if we don't, as you said, we're going to end up back in this vicious circle again of, of players coming in and out of the team, um, constantly just not, just not um, having a, a consistent run of games. Um, it's just not going to work. I, I don't think there's going to be, for me anyway, there's not going to be an opportunity for, for players to develop if if we don't have the same manager in place all the time as well. Um, so yeah, I just think it's, I just think it's, um, I think it'd be stupid to sack him. Who do you, who do you bring in? Who, who, who's, who's on your short list of, of managers? It's foolish. And I think the reason I wanted to co- cover this topic and it really, I think, infuriated me is when I saw someone even suggest that Maurizio Sarri come back to the club. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is the problem. That's the, exactly, that's the problem. They offer these ludicrous solutions like Jose Mourinho's name has been mentioned a lot. Mm. And I think it would just be crazy to hire him a third time. And just, I think we covered this before with the Bowley, Mourinho, just kind of, they wouldn't gel together. Um, one thing that Bowley did say recently, or the ownership have owned up to, is the fact that they were very unambitious, um, or too ambitious, sorry, with their goals for both Tuchel and Potter, mm. which led to their sackings. So that's why they want to give um, Pochettino time. And it, I think even if we finish outside of Europe, which I think we still will, I don't think we'll get conference or Europa League football. I think Pochettino will stay. Um, but what I want to give him also, I want to see him have a full team of fit players. Yeah for him to kind of feel the consistent 11 that for me will be our strongest 11. Every single game we play this season with Nkuku being injured, with Chilwell and Reese James out of the fold, we haven't been able to play our best 11, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And that's why I want to see, and that's when I'll start to really judge Pochettino once he starts getting consistent games with his strongest 11. Yeah, it's a sensible option. I think it's the, the most logical thing to do. Um, you know, it's like asking a, a man to drive a car with three wheels. You know, you, you can't expect him to get very far. So, um, my only, yeah, my only worry is at the moment is there's a lot of fans that may go to the games. You know, there's big channels now that they, they've almost turned into Arsenal fan TV. There's people that feel like they're at Cobham every day and they're not even there. They're sat in their house somewhere, but they, they talk like they're in the know. And, and I think there's a lot of Chelsea fans now who are up and coming, you know, a lot younger than me and you, um, that hang on every word that they say. So, you know, I mean, I don't need to name the accounts, but there's accounts on there that you see them every every day, you know, talking about latest transfer news and they haven't got a clue, you know, or, you know, that they've managed at the top level themselves. They haven't. So we're not in these conversations with Todd Bowley and the, the ownership and Maurizio Pochettino. We don't know what happens. We just have to assume and speculate. But I, I, I do think that the fans now, you know, as you said, you know, some of them are, are, are stupid. They are. The, the, the fans aren't. Well, they are. You wasn't saying that, but the fans are stupid, some of them, because mm. they haven't got any logical answers to who comes in. Um, you know, like you just said, we haven't actually, Pochettino ha- hasn't had a injury-free squad 
Graham Potter never to to give him his credit either. Um, so we haven't really got to see consistently and Kunku playing with Reese James, with Ben Chilwell, with Enzo, with Lavia, with Caicedo, or or fit. Um, Wesley Fofana, Chukumweka, Chukumweka. We haven't seen any of these players play four, five, six, seven games together to get a bit of momentum to see what they can do. So to sack him, possibly you'd have to bring in an interim. I don't think there's anyone that would take this job middle of the season. It'd have to be an interim. You're probably looking at Sam Allardyce. <laughs> Let's be honest. He's the only person I can think of that is stupid enough to take the job and get paid to do it. So do, do, do Chelsea fans really want that? Do they want Big Sam in the dugout against Fulham? I don't think so. Big Sam, return of Frank Lampard, Gus Hiddink. These, these are just like average names you're listing here. So yeah, it's, it's, it's not. And then it's just all back to square one once you get a manager like that. So stick with Poch. It'd be so foolish. Stick with Poch, exactly. We, we've spoken about Nicholas Jackson a bit already, but um, Af- African Cup of Nations starts uh, tomorrow. Um, obviously, Nicholas Jackson's part of, part of that. Do you think... I, I mean, personally, I think it's a good thing that Nicholas Jackson's gone, not because I, I, I think he hasn't been good enough for Chelsea, but maybe just to get him out of that limelight as well. We just spoke about the fans there and I'm probably one of them, one of the most critical people of him at the moment, but maybe just to get him away from Chelsea, let him go and play some football elsewhere. And it also gives, hopefully, Armando Breuer an opportunity to to be the number nine as well. But do you think we'll miss Nicholas Jackson um, over the next couple of weeks whilst he's away? Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's time. Um, time's come. Timing of this is quite good because um, you know he's getting a lot of attention, bad attention for for the kind of poor performances he was putting in. And I do think our run of games in January, with a lot of the cup competitions, yeah. are particularly games where we can cope without our number nine. Um, let's call him our number nine now because that's what he's been this season, starting all our games as our striker. Yeah. So it is a chance now under Brozier, who I think will stay at the club beyond January. So there were rumours uh, linking to move away. And hopefully, Nkugni's back as well um, from the second injury of the season now. Um, but yeah, then it's still a bit weird that, you know, we've got Broja and then against Middlesbrough, we play with a false nine. Um, oh. That's still a bit confusing. But yeah, I think it's a good kind of chance for um, Jackson to play with Senegal at the AFCON. And Senegal is a very good team. So I expect mm-hmm. him to go quite far into the competition, at least make the semis, which means um, more time with Jackson. Um, and hopefully he'll come back with a bit more confidence as well because we know I, th- I do think he's got a lot of confidence but it's almost that kind of confidence that comes with being very young and immature rather than actually confidence in him you know being able to put the ball back in the back of the net so um, so yeah I think it's a good 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 opportunity for him good timing but I'm just really hoping now that um, Pot just sticks with Broja and I'd like to see the Broja and Cuckoo combination at some point um, in January as well mm, yeah because I think when Broja's came on um, or he started games he does he does play a lot of the game very quietly. And by that, I mean that he's not in and amongst all the, the, the play of action. You know, there's times where you don't really notice that he's even on the pitch, but then he'll, you know, from a set piece or just a bit of stroke of luck or he's just in the right place at the right time and he, he scores a goal. So, and we have to remember before the injury, Brozier for, for Southampton was really good. You know, he was a really good player for them when he went on loan. Um, and again, someone who's very young still, we have to, we, you know, I think because he's been at the club since, you know, very long and he's come through the ranks and whatever else, I think people look at him as a 
oh, he should be able to slot into the team. He's still learning as well. So I think we have to remember that just like Nicholas Jackson is as well. Uh, again, why sometimes even though I'm critical of him, I'm also very aware that he's still very young um, and still learning as well. But I, I agree with you. I think, you know, this is a perfect time for, for me personally to see Armando Burry. I obviously got Fulham um, tomorrow. Then we've got the cup, big game uh, against Middlesbrough, Villa in the FA Cup. We've got a big game uh, the 31st of January against Liverpool um, at Anfield as well. So there are some big games coming up that are re- really important to to sort of, I'm not going to say the season defining, but they are definitely going to shape how we, we go for the rest of this season. So Amanda Brody has to step up and and, and be you know, the, the, the striker that we need. He really does. Um, just thinking now, actually, I mean, obviously we've got, as I said, we've got the, the games coming up. Um, Broyer is there. We've obviously now loaned out um, David Datra Fofana to Burnley. Do we still have or lack, I suppose, do we lack the quality going forward? in strikers, do we still need to think about going in and, and getting someone to come in uh, in January? I don't think it's going to happen in January. I think um, we've spoken about at length about the potential realistic targets for those players that have been linked to and both of them being Ivan Tony and Victor Ossin. And I think both their parent clubs or their current clubs would, would not let either one of them leave in January. I think Brentford, the history of that club, they kind of, they kind of develop these players and sell them for big fees um, that's what they've done in the past with Neil Mopay, with Ben Rama, with David Ryle, which they're doing at the moment. Um, so I think he will leave, but I think that'll be more in the summer, especially that they, they won't have um, Mbumo and um, Visa throughout January because of the AFCON as well. Yeah. Um, Osimenov as well. Uh, I'm not sure if he's just the controversy there or the kind of tweet he put out, Instagram story after, I think his, um, I can't ever say his name, um, a Georgian player, Kravishkoya, I think that's his name. It's agent spoke some about about rumour linking him to Saudi Arabia and I think Osman got really upset yeah. by it and kind of bad mouthed him on his Instagram story. So I think it's yeah. inevitable that he will eventually leave. Um so I think it's you're looking more at kind of signing a number nine in the summer mm. and kind of just staying patient or trying something out of the current assets or resources you've got. Yeah. I I agree with you. I think the the most we'll probably see, I think from from um from Chelsea this season is possibly to get a pre-agreement maybe uh, I don't know if that's even a, a, an option especially with um, Osman going to the AFCON I think as well so um, but at the same time as well I'm not really I think this season for me is about getting our players back that we want to be back in the team um, you know fit fully fit so they can crack on for the rest of the season or get ready for pre-season for the following season. So um, I think we still need to really honestly assess Broyar, Nicholas Jackson, Lavia, Caicedo, all of these players that we've been speaking about and say, are they actually good enough? And if they are, then we don't need to keep dipping into the market. I think that's a, a massive, for me, it's a massive concern, the fact that you know we keep dipping into the market for players, we loan them out, we, we're almost going back into the same situation when Marina, Marina Granaskaya was here and we, you know, we, Ian Matson's a prime example of that. You know, we've allowed him to sign a new contract. I'm assuming with a lovely release clause in it, but we've loaned him out anyway. And if you think back to Danny Drinkwater, Bakayoko, um, all these players that we, we suddenly had out on loan everywhere, you know, they won three or four year deals, decent wages, but we kept loaning them out. I don't, 
I don't want to get into that situation again where we're constantly loaning out, you know, Santos and um yeah, you know, Fafanas and Amari Hutchinson's. If they're not good enough, then let's cut them loose and let's just assess the squad that we actually need for me anyway. But um do you think there's other areas of the, of the team that we we need to still address? I mean, we spoke about the goalkeeper situation, but I feel like Petrovic has really stood up and stepped up while Sanchez has been injured. So I'm quite happy with him at the moment in, in goal. I don't know what you think about that, but is there any other areas yeah. of the team that you you worry about that we should be possibly looking at trying to to fill voids? Yeah, I do. I do like the look of Petrovic. Uh, I still think it's very early on in his career, um, and he hasn't been properly tested to pull off some big kind of um, game-winning saves. Maybe some of the saves against Luton were very impressive, but other, other than that, I just wanted to maybe maybe wait till the end of the season um, to properly judge him and determine if he can be our number one. It's not so much a position, a particular position on the pitch I would focus on, but it's more just adding experience to the squad. Yeah, Because it is, looks like Silva will return to Brazil or retire at the end of the season. He is 39 if you remove Silva from this squad, our second oldest player or most experienced player is then Raheem Sterling, who is 29 or 30, I believe. Um, and you, you just don't win silverware or you don't kind of get top three or top four in a season with a squad of players below the age or the average age is, I don't know, 21, 22, um, or not have any players that are a bit more experienced in those early 30s that can provide wisdom, could provide um, learnings to the younger players. So just some names that I just think it would make sense for us to pick up, just to add a bit of experience, especially if it's Targo Silva departs. But United are looking to sell Varane. I think that would be a great pickup, in my opinion. You're pulling a face. I, know, I just feel like it's experienced. He's a centre-back. He's good aged as well, 31, I believe. He's the type of player I think we should look at rather than picking up some 18-year-old from Ecuador or, or mm. Brazil and then just loaning him out. Um, so yeah, that's the type of player or profile of player that I would want to look at. And it's often worked well for us when we've added experience to the squad. Mm. You look at Silva, you look at Costa, you look at Fabregas, you look at um, Jorginho to a certain extent as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's the focus that we should have from now on. Yeah. The track record's been good. I mean, I'll give you that definitely. Uh, Varane, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, you could be right. I mean, look, he's a, he's a very good centre-back. I don't want to discredit him at all. Um but we do need experience and I agree with you. You know, I think you look at, and, and that, that's, that's, that's not to say that Raheem Sterling for me, I mean, how many times has he won the Premier League? Five, four, five times. So he's got, he's got the experience of winning things and he's, he's played under one of the best managers. But that some people say he's one of the best managers in, in world football. So yeah, we, we've got some experience there. Is he a leader? I don't think so. And I think that's the difference having experience is brilliant you could have played the game for 40 years but we need someone who's going to be vocal enough in and in and off the on and off the pitch who's going to be able to I've said it before you know get someone by the scruff of the neck and just give them a bit of a rollicking and just say look it's not good enough you know you need to do more and I think Thiago Silva you can clearly see the frustration spilling out more and more every game that we lose you know, I know you said before that he went over to the fans, but I think that was again more so in also frustration as well. Um, you know, a lot of the fans, whether they want to or not, they've traveled up the, to the northeast, you know, on a cold mid of the week. You know, some people have got word the next morning they've traveled up, so they're obviously frustrated. But, you know, for him to go over, I think it just shows the passion that he's got for the club, for the badge, for the fans as well, um, who've traveled up there. But if we lose him, you're losing a, not just a lot of experience, but you're, you're losing that leadership, like you said. So 
Um, and that's one thing we've always had at the club. If you think back to even, you know, 96, 95, 94, we've always had leaders with voices in the dressing room. Um, if we lose that, I mean, I can only imagine what the dressing room would be like, you know, <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be mental. I think it'd be absolutely crazy. So I think we've got to start looking at, I agree with you, maybe not in a positional situation but I think we definitely need to bring someone of you know 29 30 who's probably hopefully got a bit of experience in the Premier League or a top club you know in a different league in Europe um bring them in and be able to hit the ground running as well that's another key thing I want them to come in and be able to you know I, I said it before about Kulabali I thought he was going to be that person to come in who's played at the top level um but he just didn't do it you know so we need to assess it properly not just bring in someone who's 31 we need to bring someone with quality who can play with us, but also nurture the youngsters and underneath them as well. So it's a, it's a thin line, in my opinion. No, I agree. Yeah, it's um, that's the type of profile of players we should be looking at. And we just don't win trophies with young players. And these young players will only get better if they're training alongside his experienced ones. And I mentioned Silva, but we're not going to be able to replace Silva because he's one of a kind type of yeah. player. We saw his reaction when when we beat Luton at full time, he looked like he was giving Enzo a bollocking. <laughs> he looked pissed off. <laughs> he was. <laughs> he just picked up three points. Yeah. yeah, he was. And rightfully so, I think, because we should have conceded those two goals. We should have let Luton create so many chances. Yeah. And that's the type of player that we want. And even Ross Barkley, when he saw his performance against against Luton, he bossed our midfield. Yeah. And Chong, he looked like Chong a coming on. type of player. Chong as well, yeah. Ross Barkley looked like the type of player that, you know, would would make Bowley spend 100 million on him based on that performance. Um, and instead, we got we spent two hundred million combined on Enzo and Caicedo. Mm. Could not did that day. So it's like things like that that I just feel like we need to be a bit more realistic with. And it's going to be an interesting summer because realistically, I don't think Bowley sees it more of a business. So he wants oh, to yeah, buy these yeah. young kind of players or young assets. Um, the Uguchu, who's the Washingtons, the I think it's Kendry Paez. Yeah, there's another chap from Brazil we're looking at at the moment. But I'd like to see that kind of shift be made and slowly look at those more experienced leaders. And experience um, and um, players that can teach the the, the youth um, a thing or two. Yeah, one thing that we uh, you said it you know a couple of times now. One thing you need is um, stability. You need players that can speak to the younger players. And if we don't have that, it, you know, we will get left behind. We'll get left behind. Arsenal, Tottenham, United, Liverpool, uh, Villa. You know, they've all got experience in those teams, and that's the difference. Even Newcastle, you know, they've got players who are slightly older that the younger players will potentially listen to and can learn off as well we don't have that so we will get left behind completely so um it's one for for Bowley to to stop using the club as a as a business and, and start thinking about yes you're looking at the long term with these younger signings but currently now you know um one of the things before we move on actually I want to talk about is just the the fans who go to the games obviously yourself you you know you, you're a regular there but I just look at I just look at the fans now and you know, the fact that the Fulham game, I think either yesterday or today, they didn't sell that out. So it's now general sale. Some of the tickets are, are very high, uh, as I've been told. You know, I think they're close to £180 for, for the game tomorrow. Um, I just look at this now. Does Todd Bowley, does Clear Lake, does the, you know, the, the, the people at the very top need to start waking up and realising that, yes, it's a business to them, but, you know, if results aren't right on the pitch or the players that they want, or we think we need to bring in aren't coming through those doors at Cobham you know is there is there a chance that fans need to just stop 
feeding the club money. You know, stop by. I think we said it before. You know, match match day programs aren't what they used to be. You know, the experience of Chelsea isn't what it used to be as well. So, is it a case of now fans have to? I don't know. I don't know how it, it, I'm not saying boycott, but is it a case of picking and choosing as to when and you go and see Chelsea? Yeah, I mean, it's a, you use that word boycott, but that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm not buying any Chelsea merch at the moment. Yep. I'm refusing to buy the new kit, for instance. I don't buy programs anymore because they're a lot thinner and they cost, I think, £4 or £4.50. Um, and Bowley, uh, we saw it as well. We're, I think next season is going to be the first season in almost over 15 years that yeah. we're unfreezing the ticket prices so yep. price tickets are going to be more expensive next year he seems to really want to increase the capacity of Stamford Bridge because that means more people going to watch the games which means more money for him mm. and the club so I don't think his focus at all is kind of pleasing those loyal fans I think his focus is just making money and as long as money gets put in his pockets he won't care mm. um, you go to the megastore now you can buy Chelsea branded snapbacks Chelsea branded baseball t-shirts all this rubbish and that's just money for him and those people that will boycott and not go or not attend the game that just means that two tourists who are willing to pay 200 pounds for westview can go mm. instead so yeah uh, but only won't care and i think i, I wish he does realize this because if you lose the core group of fans the passionate group mm. then you lose the soul of the club you use the identity of the club but i don't know what the kind of solution or reasoning how, how we make him realize that so i don't want people with banners outside the bridge I don't want this constant booing at full time. Yeah. I don't want this. I mean, I said boycotting, but I don't really want us to boycott game. I don't want to see loyal fans not attend the games mm. for this reason. So yeah, it's going to, it's quite a tricky one, but I also want, make, want to make him realize that, listen, we're at the kind of cusp of this happening. We're on the edge of this happening. So yeah, it needs to, he needs a bit of a wake up call on that kind of aspect of it. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. hundred percent. Let's, let's move on to, um, our midweek game that's just gone against Middlesbrough a game I, I feel like if it wasn't you that I was speaking to I said to someone this is not going to be an easy game going to the Riverside Stadium middle of the week um, playing a team that's very inconsistent in the championship after the back of almost getting into the playoffs or I think they did get into the playoffs last last season um, Middlesbrough EFL Cup whatever we're calling it now Carabao Cup uh, 1-0 um, win for Middlesbrough Hayden Hackney scored the goal. Um, what was your thoughts initially on the game, on the lineup as well? You mentioned obviously Bro, Bro, you being on the bench. Cole Palm was the false nine. Um, right or wrong decision from Potticino with the lineup? Yeah, I mean, I would have, I would have decided Broja. I hate this false false nine experiment. It never really worked with Hazard. It never really worked with Sterling last season. Um, I would have just stuck with Broja as a number nine. Uh, I guess not playing Matson and sticking with Cole will make sense given that. He's, um, it just got announced that um, he's being loaned out to Dortmund today. So they've probably been um, already thinking about his move to uh, to Germany in the Bundesliga. Yep. Um, but I just, I haven't really liked this Colwell experiment. If anything, I would have played Matson well throughout December whilst James and um, Chilwell have been, um, James, sorry, Chilwell and uh, Cucurella have been injured. Um, or even Gusto at left back and maybe yep. played to Sassi at right back, even though that's not something I'm particularly fond of either. In terms of the performance, I'm just going to keep it quite simple. Middlesbrough needed one chance on goal to score and they scored it. We had about 12 clear-cut chances and we didn't score a single one. You look at the hat-trick of misses from Cole Palmer. Yeah. Um, I think a few, Madrid had a chance or a few others had a chance. So on another day, I think we're winning that. And that's why I'm still quite confident for the second leg and staying optimistic. But it just goes to show that we struggle against these teams that just sit back. And we can't really play the football that we want to play. And the games that we have excelled in this season have been Arsenal at home, mm. have been Tottenham away, 
have been City um, yeah. um, at home as well. Teams that actually come to us and kind of play their football. And so, yeah, I think um, we're going to have to kind of wake up for the second leg and actually be a lot more clinical. But I'm still remaining fairly optimistic. Yeah, I am as well. I think it was a game that we, obviously going into it, we should have won. Um, not just because on paper we are the better team, but I just felt that, you know, the importance of the game for us was, we know that this is a really bad season, again, off the back of another bad season from last year. And I think this is the only real opportunity to salvage the season by getting some silverware. This is probably the easiest opportunity to do that. Yes, we're still in the FA Cup, but you look at, and again, you know, Liverpool didn't have the best of time against Fulham. So you you expect them to go to Craven Cottage and get the, the job done. So it should be Liverpool and hopefully a Chelsea final. But when you get to Wembley, it's anyone's game. You know, we've we've seen that our back-to-back games against um, against Liverpool in the, the League Cup and the FA Cup as well, losing on penalties. When you get to that position at Wembley, it's anyone's to take. So I felt we should have had a bit more fight in us. I feel that the, the chances that we had, we should have taken them, especially Cole Palmer. Um, I don't know why this didn't happen, but I would have put Alvi Gilchrist in that team at right back. And I would Christ, have, yeah. I would have had um I would have had Malagusto at left back because I feel that albeit he's a you know naturally right footed as a as a right back. I think he would offer you a lot more going down that left side with Mudrick as well. Um Colwell, credit him to to every you know length degree, but he's just not a he's not a left back. He looks very uncomfortable. Um, I think it was Isaiah Jones. I think that was playing for Middlesbrough on the right side for them. He was having a field day. He just, he just, it was too easy for him just to go, to, to, to know what he could do with Colwell. And I think I read um, after the game that Michael Carrick knew that Colwell was going to be playing left back. So he made sure that Isaiah Jones was there. He knew that um, Vanderberg could overlap as well uh, for Middlesbrough. So it was just too easy. Um, I can't really fault Colwell for the goal. He could do, he should do better. But he shouldn't be there in the first place. He should not be playing left back. You know, you've got someone, Malagusto, who can play there. Um, as you said, Dezazi could play right back if you need him, which we technically did. Um, and I agree. Chris, though. I agree with that option. I think I forgot about his name and his name escaped me. But yeah. given his performance against Preston, um, Brilliant. given the injuries we have, yeah. play him right back. Just play, yeah. play a natural player who can play there in that position. He was spot on. It makes yeah. sense. I don't think he came on until I think it was late into the game, probably before stoppage, just before stoppage time. So, you know, that for me is when I questioned Potticino because you could see it clearly wasn't working throughout the game. Make a change, at, you know, 50 minutes into it because it was, it was horrible to watch Cowell that first half. But you make a change. Just make the change, you know, just do that because he's done it before. I think, um, I think he, there was a game where I, I think he, he subbed him off basically because he, he, I can't, might have been there going to say it was either the Arsenal game one of the games where Colwell got subbed off at half time and I think we brought on Cocorea I think and we played him at left back obviously obvious choices but just do the same if it's not working then you've got to change things um let's talk about quickly Enzo and the Caicedo the the dual partnership that clearly doesn't seem to be working um it, it I mean I was watching a clip from from Enzo from last season and I don't know if something's changed off the, on, on, you know, at Cobham, the training ground, but he just doesn't seem the play that he was when we initially signed him. Um, I don't remember the goal that he, I think it was, I can't remember who it was against, but there's a, a, an assist that he, got, he does, does to Kai Havertz where he just lifts up. Yeah, the was, it, was it Leicester? Leicester away, yeah. That yeah, was the one. it was, wasn't it? So I think that kind of, just having the the idea to do that, it just seems like we've lost some sort of creativity with Enzo. Do you, do you think it's just a role that he's probably 
being asked to play slightly different or the fact that he's kind of interchangeable with Conor Gallagher. Sometimes he's playing as one that's further in, further up uh, the three in the midfield and Conor Gallagher's the one that's sitting in the pivot with, with uh, Caicedo. I mean, to be fair on both Enzo and Caicedo, they're not £100 million players. No they're midfielder not. in world football at the moment is worth £100 million, and that price tag, unfortunately, they're going to have to carry it for, with them for the rest of their careers. Um, and it will sometimes cause a lot of criticism, um, but that's not their fault uh, yeah. at all. Um, in terms of Enzo, I, his performance has been average, I feel. I still think that's a very um, good player and he has shown glimpses of a lot of quality. But I kind of want to say as well, I don't think people realise, but if he was carrying a hernia and he's had to have surgery on that, that's a painful, really painful kind of area of your body and your groin. Mm. That can affect the way you run. It can affect the way you squat, the way you bend, the way you move your feet to pass the ball. Um, and it's something that doesn't just come like that. You kind of feel the pain kind of progress. So uh, maybe he was just paying, playing through a lot of pain, perhaps. Yeah. Um, I want to maybe kind of use, use that as a reason, but I still want him as well to excel and kind of show, show why we would have um, kind of showed a lot of confidence and um, spent a lot of money to bring him in in the first place. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's um, there's still a lot. To, it goes back to what we said, you know. I think we need to to see and assess both those players, Caicedo and Enzo, when both are playing with a team that has got no injuries in there. You know, with Reece James fit, with Chilwell fit, with Nkunku back to full fitness, with Nicholas Jackson hopefully hitting the form that we hope he can hit as well. But um, let, let's move over to tomorrow's game, twelve thirty, Stamford Bridge, early kickoff against Fulham. Um, West London derby if you want to call it that but um, yeah I mean I, I'm, I'm, it's 2024 now I'm not going to say it's a must win it's a big game it's not it's not a big game it's a game that we should comfortably be able to put in a really good performance um, off the back of the way that Fulham played against Liverpool I was actually impressed with Fulham they, they, they possibly should have felt hard done by by not actually coming away with some sort of result against Liverpool but um Going into this game, obviously, we've had one day extra to prepare for it. Are you hoping for a couple of changes in the lineup going into to the game tomorrow? Yeah, I say I want to see a bit more of the lineup about maybe Gilchrist and maybe Gusto at left back. Yeah. But we don't have that many options to choose from, given now that we've learned out Matson, we've got injuries. You mentioned Chilwell, Chukunweka, and um, Trevor Chaloba coming back into first team training, but they're not match ready. Mm. So there's Lever, um, was very thin in terms of and the depth we have in the current fit squads. Yeah. Um, I think I'm, I'm still I'm expecting a really tough game. Really, really tough game. You look at their last two results, unfortunate, like you said, to lose to Liverpool. And then they beat Arsenal um, last weekend or the weekend before, I believe, before the FA Cup football. Um, 2-1 at Craven Cottage. We speak about us being very inconsistent. I'd probably say Fulham are even more inconsistent. Um, um, they went to those two back-to-back wins against... Um, it was Forest and West Ham. I think both games they won five 0 actually, and then they just lost to Bournemouth to um, I think it might have been uh, Newcastle, and it was another kind of really surprised defeat Burnley. I think they lost at home to Burnley. Um, so they are kind of struggling with struggling with consistency. I think their star player as well, Joao Polina. I think his head's not really full at the moment. He's still pushing for that move to yeah. buy Munich, um, but still a class player, and I expect him to play tomorrow. So I'm expecting a very tough game. And these are type of games that if you want to have a chance of playing European football, you're going to have to win. You need three points at home against Fulham. Um, but that being said, given how we've been this season, I'm expecting a tough game. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at our record um, last couple of seasons at Stamford Bridge. It, 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 it's good reading. I think um counts for nothing. I mean, you know, we can we can look at this, the, the results, but where we are as a club now, you look at some of the players that we, we probably had in 2013, it's, you know, we had Lampard, we had Ramirez, Mikel, Eto, Oscar, Hazard, Scherler. So you're talking about a completely different team um, that line will we'll line up tomorrow. But I'm, I'm confident we can get a win. Um, I, I agree with you. You know, I think we have to look at that that left back side. You know, we have to really consider. You know, should uh, for me personally, I would have Silver and maybe Colwell, if I'm being honest, as as my my centre back partnership. I think there's a lot of harsh criticism against Colwell, um, saying that he's not a really good defender. I thought he was really good for Brighton the the, the season that he was there, and I just think he's being played out of position. I think if you ask me or you know, you ask someone else to play as a left back, if they're not naturally confident to play there, they are going to make a lot of mistakes. So um, I, I would go with that as my back line, as you, as you said, you know, bring Malo Gusto in, maybe bring, play him as the left back for the game. Um, strangely, I would actually drop, I think I would actually drop Enzo Fernandez for this game. More so because I, off the back of what you've just said around the hernia injury, and I, I just look at that now and I, I think this is a game, yes, we need to win, but I think we've got some very important games coming up. I look at, you know, the FA Cup game that's coming up, the second leg of the League Cup. I'd hate to lose either or, or both Caicedo and Enzo um, to a long-term injury. We've not been lucky with injuries recently. So, um, yeah, I would probably go with Gallagher, Caicedo in the midfield and I'd have a front three of well, Madweki on the right, Palmer in the middle, Sterling on the left with Brogio playing as the, the nine going forward. Yeah, yeah, I'd actually agree with that choice for the starting 11. That's going to be my options as well for the midfield. Um, and I think that midfield, that partnership of Gallagher and um, and Caicedo with Palmer as the 10 is what we played against um, against uh uh, Luton I think that would look quite comfortable especially in that first half with that midfield combo so I think that's what I'd opt for for this game against Fulham and I think as well it goes back to what you said about having limited options on the bench I think if Enzo is fit which he should be and he can make the bench and it gives us something else to think about as well uh, you know if we are looking for that final goal you know if we're 1-0 up but we just need a bit more of a safety net then you look at that goal hopefully that would be it but um Raul Jimenez, Willian, we know, can cause issues for us. Uh, Pereira, again, another one. Um, I thought Harrison Reed um, was really good for um, for Fulham the other night. I think he might be hopefully injured. I think he's got a big knock against uh, Liverpool. But um, we have to win this game. I mean, I hate early kickoffs mm-hmm. anyway. But if we do win this game and results go our way, it takes us into the, the the nicer part of the league in terms of seventh or eighth there or thereabouts. Um, we then don't play, I think, for a couple of weeks in the league. Obviously, we've got the League Cup um, semi-final, second leg, then the FA Cup. I'm just trying to think who we've got next in the league. Um, Liverpool. Liverpool. Liverpool after Liverpool this. on the 31st, yeah. So we have to kind of go into this game, win this, focus on the trophy or the, the Cups, um, and then go into that big game against Liverpool just with a bit more momentum. So I think this is the start of those four games for me that we have to put in a really good performance. Um, Potticino has to get, as much as he hasn't got the options on the bench, but he has to get some of these subs right. Um, it'll be interesting, a question for you, it'll be interesting if Ben Chilwell 
Carney Chokomeka or Trevor Chalaba do actually make the bench seen as they're back in full team training. Would you would you consider putting all three or any of those on the bench for the game? I think if they do feature on the bench, they wouldn't actually get on the pitch. Or if they do, it would just be for maybe five minutes towards the end. We have to remember, I think there's a winter week break when the yeah. Premier League and English football switches off. And that might be the perfect week for them to stay in training, um, up their match fitness, and then come back after that period fully fit to be to be able to start on game in games or start on the bench. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't risk them actually risk uh, having the mass all on the bench for this one. I agree. I agree. Now let's, before we wrap up, let's do our usual score predictions. Um, Chelsea, Fulham, 12.30 tomorrow. Um, assuming you're going, you'll be there. Yeah. I'll be there. Yeah. Um, I'll let you go first as always um, with the predictions. Yeah, I was quite relatively optimistic for the Palace, Luton, Preston games and quite even for the Middlesbrough game, but I'm not so, not as optimistic for this one. Um, I think it's going to be quite a high scoring draw. Um, I'm going to go 2-2 2-2 I'm going to go 2-0 Chelsea I'm going to go 2-0 um, I do like Raul Jimenez and I, we know what William can offer uh, scored a really good goal midweek but I, I just think defensively if we get it right I think we'll, we should be able to keep Fulham quiet um, I just got a feeling I, feel, I got a feeling we've turned the corner I know it's such a stupid thing to say after a defeat to Middlesbrough, but I feel like we should hopefully have turned a corner. Um, and like you said, we're playing some really good football at the moment. We, we're not taking our chances. So, you know, as long as we can take these chances we're creating, I think we should be able to get a result against Fulham. So I'm going to go 2-0. Um, scorers, I'm going to go for Raheem Sterling and I'm going to go for Moises Caicedo. Ooh, yeah. I like the shout. I'll go with Broja and I'll go with Thiago Silva actually. I think we'll get another header from a corner. Yeah, I actually was thinking about him. I was thinking set pieces, but I'm going to go for those two. But um, either way, you know, we need three points, as I said, if we can kickstart the next four games, which are very, very important for us this season. So um, as always, Theo, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. It feels good to be back recording after our little sort of mini break over Christmas, but we'll be I'm sure we'll be back um, talking Chelsea again uh, later on this week or next week now. Um, enjoy the game as always as well. Um, hopefully, yes. hopefully I'm right in the predictions and you're wrong just for the sake of Chelsea getting three points. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Make sure you go to the link tree link in the description as well. That will take you to the social accounts and the previous podcast episodes and also leave, leave your thoughts in the comments as well. Who would you start against Fulham? Until next time, we'll be back soon and enjoy the rest of your day and the weekend when you get to it as well.